A rich tradition. College football podcast is now live. Hello and welcome to a rich tradition college football podcast. I'm Spencer Van Horn. He's Robbie Stelton Pole, two friends, one love, and that is college football. Roberto, how are you, my friend? Man, I'm doing great. I really am. Uh, we are so close to the beginning of college football starting. We are, um, I think, yeah, we're three weeks from today. Three weeks from today, we will have games on our televisions. Very excited. I think we'll get uh, we'll get started even that Thursday, won't we? There'll be games that Thursday. Isn't there like a Pitt and Virginia game, West Virginia game that Thursday? Well, I, I mean uh, week zero, like the week zero games. I think like Nebraska plays Hawaii or something like that. Uh, yeah okay yeah 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 i know what you're talking about i was thinking about i was being in the zone for when our vsu schedule starts and that starts on that thursday so we got our first game of the year on a thursday night i like the idea of division two playing thursday night college football but that's not a that's not a sentiment a lot of other people with decision making power agree with <laughs> but i do like the idea of tuesday night or thursday nights being division two night <laughs> All right, we got the uh, ACC on the docket for today. So, Robbo, if you would like, we can go ahead and start and jump right in. Uh, the conference of quarterbacks, a lot of people are calling it. Lots of really nice quarterback play uh, returning here in um, in 2022 for the ACC. So uh, do you want to start at the bottom and work our way up, or how would you like to go about the uh, the ACC? You know, let's go ahead and start at the top. Let's um let's go ahead and get this conversation out of the way because I think I think these will probably be our biggest conversations, uh, but also maybe a little controversial for some people, um, it, with both teams, because we may be higher on we may be higher on one of these teams than other people are. All right, so we'll start with tier one, and we've got two teams in tier one. I believe though, you could realistically so Clemson and Miami, we both agree are in tier one. However, if certain things go certain ways, either one of these teams and maybe even both of them uh, could end up out of tier one. Tier one's typically playoff territory, uh, conversation for the playoff. So if things go uh, break one way for both of these teams, they could be out of that conversation very quickly. And if certain things go correctly, obviously they could be right there. Uh, in that territory as well. So who would you like to start with, Clemson or uh, Miami there in Tier 1 as potential playoff teams coming out of uh, the ACC? Let's start with Clemson. Um, and <clears throat> all right, so let, let me just say this up front. I, I, and I said this to you off the air, I agree that the pedigree of Dabo Sweeney and what Clemson is should assure us that like that they should have a better year this year. However, I would also say that some people, some people like talk about the sky is falling at Clemson and they won 10 games last year. So, I, so I just want to preface with, with saying that because I, I, I am not as sure that Clemson is going to be like, I'm putting them in the tier one of the championship caliber, the, the playoff caliber team. I'm putting them there because of multiple reasons. Dabo Sweeney's pedigree as a coach, they're also way above the blue chip ratio. Like we know they have talent across the board. 
They they have a backup quarterback in Cade Klubnik, uh, who is, who who is a dude. Um, but I I am I am just genuinely concerned about the coaches and and the players that they lost this offseason and just assume that they're going to come in this year and be and should be the favorite to win the ACC. Yeah, it almost feels like the only thing they need to break right is the quarterback spot. Uh, and those two coordinators just not do something ridiculous, right? Like don't don't come in and try to reinvent the wheel on either side of the ball. And then the quarterback position needs to break right, whether it's uh, DJU or it is Cade Klubnik. That really feels like the only thing. And, and maybe there might be some pieces on the offensive line that need to be, uh, you know, retooled. Maybe that position could be a little bit stronger. But ultimately, there's not a ton of gigantic question marks for this group outside of, you know, new new coaches in in unfamiliar territory and at a place that doesn't hasn't had a, a huge turnover at the coaching position. And then that uh, that quarterback spot could be a little uh, it's got to be a lot better, not a little better, a lot better from last year to this year. Rob, they went from forty three and a half points a game in twenty twenty to twenty six points a game last year. And that's just the that's just the tip of the iceberg for how uh, unimaginative, unimpressive the offense was last year for Clemson. Yeah, and 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 also, I, I can I make this argument too. It's not all on DJ. Like his O line, that, yeah. Go ahead. His, his O line was not that good last year. They, the wide receiver that like Clemson has made just a, a like made it their their goal in life to get only like tall, not very agile receivers to throw to on the outside and then they'll have like one scrawny one scrawny shifty kid in the middle like that they, they were not very diverse in anything they did Shipley you know Shipley the running back who who is a stud who I mean there's a world in which he's in the Heisman candidacy conversation at the end of the year but like he I mean he's a dude but I just I I think there's a reason why I I mean we all know there's a reason why Dabo allowed his offensive coordinator to leave but I just I have a hard time just automatically buying that Dabo bringing two coaches in in-house, just promoting up, is automatically a good thing for an offense last year that was unimaginative uh, unimaginative, and and really just kind of boring. And if they were playing probably in either the Big Ten or the SEC last year, they probably have a much worse record. And, and so, go ahead. I was just going to, you know, uh, continue with – it's probably the schedule and the defense that puts Clemson in the tier one conversation. Their schedule's not overwhelming, and their defense was really good last year. They're going to get a piece or two back from injury that could make things even better on that side of the ball. Uh, and maybe not better, but at least hold serve on that side of the ball because they are losing some some of their top guys from last year. But ultimately, people believe the defense and and, and perhaps this schedule – Will be the uh, will be the the reason Clemson's a part of the uh, playoff conversation potentially at the end of the year. Yeah, I mean, so l- let me ask you this before we move on to Miami: H- How confident are you in them being in this tier? Not 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 overwhelmingly. Uh, I mean, I'm their defense only gave up 14 points. I'm right at 15 points a game last year, and that could be difficult to replace even though they might not be they won't be bad this coming season but that'll be difficult to replace 
Uh, DJU didn't necessarily seem to be taking steps forward in the spring. There's no guarantee that Cade Klubnik will be uh, a world beater as uh, the incoming, potentially the incoming, uh, you know, rookie quarterback. So I think the question marks that Clemson does have sort of make you think those are important question marks, uh, especially at that quarterback spot. And if that's going to be the case, then then yeah, I mean, of the playoff caliber teams that are in the country, Clemson's probably one that I'm thinking they they have to emerge as a playoff contender in terms of the big picture of the country. And I think that's that that's pretty fair. Okay. Um, the, the next team, um, we have here is University of Miami. Um, I, there are two teams in this conference that I, I feel really confident in. Um, and one of them is Miami. I, like, I'm not, I'm not guaranteeing anything that they're going to make the playoff, but I think that the pieces are in place. The coach is in place, but more importantly, the quarterback is in place at Miami to to put themselves in a position to be in that playoff conversation at the end of the year. Um, just, oh, just really quick with Clemson, three three of their hardest ACC games is on the road, too. I just think that's interesting well to point out. Um, for Miami, uh, for them, I think their two biggest games of the year are on the road as well, but one's a non-con at Texas A&M and at Clemson are, prob- are probably the two biggest games of the year. And like right now, I think there's a world in which they could beat AM because I just have that much faith in faith in Tyler Van Dyke. I believe in Mario Cristobal fixing or at least improving the offensive line. And whenever you look and you see that they have seven guys returning on offense <clears throat> and they have that they have yes, they have five guys returning on defense, but I'm not really worried about the talent they have on defense because Miami has like they may not have recruited in the top five, but they just seem to always have guys because of the pipeline of that South Florida, you know, South South Florida pipeline just being so rich with talent. Um, I, I, I just I'm 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 excited about this Miami team this year. Where are you at? Yeah, I mean, a lot of people would. I mean, obviously, I got them in tier one. So I think if a couple of things break right, if they take some steps forward uh, defensively. And Mario Cristobal sort of creates that sense of um, hunger and aggression, uh, like a lot of people think that he's going to, uh, and that that excitement. Then yeah, that that all stuff's going to go a long way. The schedule's not overwhelming outside of at Clemson and at Texas A&M, like you mentioned. And yeah, Tyler Van Dyke. The question is going to be for Van Dyke: Is he put up some sort of Joe Burrow esque kind of numbers at one point last year in terms of? like six straight games of over 300 yards passing. What does the encore look like? Sometimes we've seen a, a sophomore slump to, to a degree. We've seen defensive coordinators come back around, defensive coaches, defensive players, whatever it is, and there's maybe not an entire answer, but there's a little bit of an answer. So I think that would be the biggest question mark going forward for Miami. Not question mark like red flag, but question mark like, Okay, what's what's the encore look like for uh, for Tyler Van Dyke and the rest of this offense? They do lose their top two pass catchers from last year, so does that have any effect uh, on this group when it comes to those top games on the schedule? North Carolina, uh, you're probably going to want to try to score some points against Virginia, um, Clemson. You're going to have to find points against Pittsburgh. So 
yeah, I like Miami a lot, and Tyler Van Dyke's a big reason. Replacing the offensive line, I agree, is something that Mario Cristobal does really, really well. And Jalen Knighton, the rest of that running back room, I think there's plenty of promise there, and uh, that might even go a long way to taking some of that pressure off of Van Dyke and allowing him to, you know, to to relax back there and sort of uh, recapture his season or recapture what he did last year. Yeah, I'm. I feel I feel good about Miami this year. Finally. Um, okay. Um, you go ahead, Spencer. Take us t- take us to the next team. All right. So tier two. Um, I've got four different teams in tier two. And again, this could be another one where you start moving some people back and forth. Let's start with Pittsburgh in year two. They won the conference last year over Wake Forest in uh, the ACC. 11 wins last year, the most of Pat uh, Pat Narduzzi's career at Pittsburgh by a long shot. They exit, though, their top two playmakers in Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison. They do bring in Keaton Slovis and Keontae Mumpfield. Can those two guys, I guess that's the biggest question mark to sort of start off with, can Keaton Slovis and Keontae Mumpfield can those two guys sort of do an applicable job of replacing the guys that they're filling in for? Um, the initial reaction, my, my, my initial answer would be no, based off what Narduzzi said at ACC Media Day. Yeah, very, and, very concerning stuff. And how he wants to run the ball more. And, you, you know, you and I, man, I well, – what was it, a couple weeks ago after he said that you and I like went back and forth looking at stats about the the progression of balance or you know the progressive of balance of their offensive running and passing and and how losing Whipple might be incredibly hurtful for this overall offense um and and so for for me I, I'm I'm kind of more in in the negative like I'm I'm more negative on Pitt this year not because like I, I believe um, in uh, – oh, my gosh, sorry, my phone's just blowing up for a second. Um, I, I believe in Keaton Slovis being a really good quarterback. The only reason why he left USC is because he knew Caleb Williams was coming in to take his job, right? Like – and then you – but, but the, my problem is, to answer your question, I don't see Kenny Pickett and Jordan Addison's offensive production being duplicated just by the sheer fact – that you don't have a you don't have a wide receiver talent like like Addison on the team this year, and I think your coach is about to try to buckle down hardcore on doing the ground and pound thing again, which I think is a mistake. But yeah, and and I man that that blows me away to the point where I almost don't believe it. You know, I almost believe that all the things that he was saying was more about his his relationship with. Mark Whipple than it was about how the offense performed, right? Like you, the most you had had was eight wins in a season. And now you've got 11 and the conference championship. Like Pat Narduzzi's got to be a better coach than that to realize, hey, we throwing the ball was just fine. Now, maybe they didn't run it as well as they would have liked to overall, only four yards of carry. And maybe that was more what he was talking about when he made those comments, even though he was explicit as he was it felt like more like maybe it was an attack on Mark Whipple uh, is at least trying is at least how I'm trying to rationalize it in my mind. 
The new offensive coordinator has spent the last two years at Boston College. Last year, they threw it 23 times and ran it 35, which certainly makes you think, well, yeah, that sounds like what Narduzzi wants to do. But remember, Phil Dracovic was hurt last year for Boston gonna, College. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah. And then the year before in 2020, they threw it 35 times and ran it like 31 or 32. So I think Keaton Slovis and the new offensive coordinator, if those two guys hit it off, Pat Narduzzi sort of relaxes a little bit and realizes, hey, throwing the football was really, really well for us last year. It worked really well. We'd like to run the ball better. I, I want to, part of me feels confident that that part would relax and he'll at least get his 35 attempts. But you're right. Your 35 attempts aren't going to be going to Jordan Addison or is not going to include Jordan Addison. So that, the production might not be there, even though they continue to throw the football. Defensively is what they'll they'll hang their hat on this season. Only 23 points a game last year. They had 54 sacks. That's four sacks a game. And 30 and a half of those sacks are returning for Pittsburgh. So I think that side of the football, excuse me, that side of the football is where they'll uh, continue to hang their hat. Lots of guys returning, seven uh, defenders returning. And, and like I said, those 30 and a half sacks from the 54 are uh, are going to be a big number. So I still think Pitt has a chance in every game they play because their defense is going to be good enough, and I get the impression offensively they'll take a step back, but maybe Keenan Slovis can keep it from being a gigantic step back. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I think this is one of those scenes where we're going to know week one whether or not, like, what kind of team Pitt may be because, you know, they play West Virginia. And yep. that's not going to be a slouch of a team. So, yep. so yeah. Anything right. else stick out about that that schedule? They've got. I mean, they uh, could potentially go zero and two to start the year. Potentially, yeah. I, I think mean, they people lost, like. I them mean, they lost West Western Michigan last year. Yeah. <clears throat> um, uh, West Virginia to start the year, Tennessee, and then Western Michigan uh, there on on September seventeenth. So, I mean, yeah, it's not um, not going to be a cakewalk right out the door for uh, for Pittsburgh. No, no, it's not. And yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I'm just very like between Clemson and and these guys, I'm just very curious as to what their offense continues to look like this year. So, um, it, go ahead. Uh, well, uh, I was going to say a really unique kind of cluster of teams over the last few years has included Pitt, but is the rest of Tier Two, NC State, Louisville, and Wake Forest all seem to be kind of bunched up together last year it felt like louisville was the one that took the brunt of the losses whereas wake forest and nc state were a little bit more on the winning end of that cluster of teams obviously Pitt, Pitt was as well so um nc state louisville wake forest kind of how do you see those three teams uh, as we approach 2020 2022 you mean that's what i meant yep 22 sorry <laughs> okay so I'll start with the high, the team that I'm highest on, and that's NC State. Um, yep. They're returning ten on defense, a, a, a pretty daggum good defense from last year. They're returning Devin Leary, who, who in his own right was was good last year as well. Um, I mean, they were fifth in the ACC, nineteenth in the country in passing uh, through him. They're returning their two Thanks, the two big throws to beat to beat Clemson as well. What yeah. two or three big throws right mm -hmm. there at the end of the game? Man, yeah, that was that was that was a good game. Uh, they're returning they're they're turning two of their top or, or yeah they're returning two of their top three pass catchers from last year. 
their returning uh, their their interior offensive line. Um, and, and I think Dave Doreen ha- Doran has been like this is his like this is it like this is his team. This is the team that we've waited for, right? Like we thought it was 2019. I think that was the team. I think yeah. it was it was 20. We thought it was going to be 2019. Um, they just didn't have the quarterback to to make it happen. Fast forward to now, I, I think they have the quarterback. I think I think they have the team. I they have the schedule. I mean, dear gracious, that they're going to start the season. Owen. I mean, they're going to start the season four and zero going into Clemson on October first. So. Like, and then after that, like, they kind of miss all their other big, like, they miss all the other big possible big hurdles in the, in the ACC after the Clemson game. And so I, I like the NC State team. I think they, I think they have a legitimate chance to make, um, to make the ACC uh, championship game. It, it really all comes down to that October 1st matchup with Clemson. Yeah. And, and there's no reason to believe. There's no reason to believe that if Clemson continues to be funky on offense, this uh, this Wolfpack defense could continue to stifle that and be right in the thick of that game again uh, on October 1st. Uh, had a really nice defense last year, right at 20 points, just under 20 points per game, and they're returning um, uh, 10, all 10 of those defenders from, or 10 of those defenders from last year. So uh, including their top two tacklers and, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm very high on NC State. I think they've got a chance to be right there in the thick of it again. And can you imagine knocking Clemson off two years in a row? That would be uh, that would be pretty impressive. It's it's Devin Leary, Devin Leary, that uh, that is the mark here. I think 35 touchdowns, five interceptions last year. They've got to get the same kind of production out of him uh, on that side of the ball if uh, if they're going to if they're going to make this push again towards the ACC championship. But they've, I mean, they've also got to get past uh, Wake Forest and, and Louisville, which were two of the teams last year. Wake Forest kept them out of it last year as they dropped that game 45-42 uh, way late in the season at Wake Forest. They get that game at home, and it's going to be homecoming on November 5th. So while Clemson's a big thing to watch out for at the beginning of the schedule, they got to keep an eye on Wake, who got past them and went to the ACC championship game last year and won 11 games. Yeah, I mean, and the the that Wake Forest team, like, let, 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 can we transition? Do you have anything else to add yeah, about NC yeah. State? No, wait, yeah, wait. that was that was okay. I, I figured that was the the transition. I just didn't want just didn't want to cut you off. Um, Wake Forest to me is probably the biggest team of the, it, it, like the what if or the if the stars align. You know, because of how much they're returning on offense. Um, it, it really comes down to a simple principle for Wake Forest this year. What, what Wake Forest, I mean, to, to be honest with you, and tell me if you think I'm crazy here, Spence, Wake Forest could be that team that actually wins their division again if the stars, like if things, if things panned out for them a certain way. And, but the biggest part of that is can their defense freaking play at all? Can their defense like be even more? Can it be more than wet paper towel like like it was last year? Can it just be cardboard? Can it just be cardboard? Can it just or actually can it be like like those bags and cereal boxes that are sometimes hard to open? Can it just be can they just be that kind of tough some some of the season? Can they be cereal box bag tough at any point this season? Because when you look at their schedule, 
man, they're going to beat VMI, they'll beat Vandy, they'll beat Liberty, and they got Clemson coming to town. And then whatever happens there, the, 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 la- the other two big games of the year are at Louisville and at NC State. But again, I, I, I don't doubt that they'll put up, what, they'll put up like 30 points a game. They put 41 points a game up last year. I, I would not be surprised if they don't put more up because they're returning everybody on that offense this year and because of the way they play offense. But the problem is defensively, they are trash. They were 88th nationally. They were 111th in rushing nationally last year. Total 91st. Like, here's a here's a challenge for you, Wake Forest, that, you know, no one from Wake's going to listen to this, but in case you do, Dave, if you do, Dave Clawson, I guarantee you, if your defense can just be just just be in the 70s, if you can just be in the 70s, you at the end November, at the end of November, you will be in the running for the ACC title. But it all comes down to their defense to me. Like, I, I'm not worried about their offense at all. Sam Hartman is really, really good. Donovan Green, A. Tay Perry, Taylor Morin, all awesome. But it, it comes down to, the, is their defense going to just ma- – are, are we even going to know they're playing defense by the end of the year? So one of the other things I think I'm interested in as well is I want to see Hartman play a little bit better in some of those. So you're right on the defense. If the defense is playing better, you take a little bit more of the pressure off of Hartman, and he's 14 interceptions might be a number that can go down because you're not putting a ton of pressure on him. But he throws four of the 14 picks, came in the loss to Pittsburgh, 46-41. You're, you're, the defense is putting them in a position where the offense has to do a whole lot, and for the most part last year they did that because as they gave up 500, 500, 500, 500 in what, four or five straight games there, and then another 500, 482, 542, their offense is equally putting up you know, the numbers on their side of the ball as well, and they were able to stay plus nine in the turnover margin. That's probably not plus nine in the turnover margin is probably not going to continue to happen. So you're going to have to find a way to get a few more stops, especially in those closer games, North Carolina, Clemson, Pittsburgh, those potentially bigger offenses you're yeah uh, 100% you're going to have to find a way there and then too it wouldn't it wouldn't hurt if the offense can find a way to play a little cleaner in some of those games as well but again defense would help a lot if you know they keep the pressure off of the offense that way yeah i yeah i agree with everything you just said it it really to me is about their defense helping the offense compensating the offense you know like we yeah, said just from a like just to use Georgia for a second, like for years we've said like if the offense could just compensate for the defense, right? Like if we if we could just have a if we could just have a a just a worthy defense, I mean a worthy offense, you know, we could get over that hurdle. And last year Georgia had, you know, obviously the the elite defense, but they had a very competent and worthy offense. If Wake Forest just could come up with a just a decent, decent defense, again, serial bag level defense. I think they would be, I think they, I think that I think really they'll be in the position at the end of the year, at the end of the semester or in this season where they're, they're in the running for the ACC title again. Like, do you agree? Like, do you agree that premise? Like, yeah, be, for sure. Yeah, no, that's that what up? we're talking yeah. about. Yeah, okay. That's what we're talking about. So nine interceptions of the 14 that 
uh, Sam Hartman threw last year came in three games. Uh, North Carolina, NC State, and Pittsburgh. And they lost two of those games and won the NC State game, uh, where three of the interceptions came. So, yeah, I mean, right down there towards the stretch, because that happens in game nine is when those nine interceptions start to to rack up. So he goes the first few games, the first eight games of the season, only throwing three interceptions and then throws nine over the final, you know, 15, uh, five games of the season, which is actually, he throws two more in there. So it's uh, totally 11, but nine of those last three games are those interceptions as well. So a little bit better play down the stretch. Yes. Um, but again, like you're saying, I think you can sort of point that at the defense and say, you guys have got to come through and maybe keep the pressure off of him in some of these shootout situations and uh, maybe not, you know, not have it to where he has to force those balls. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, Let's talk, let's talk about Louisville, Spencer, because I, I think I think some there are some people who are giving Louisville a lot of love this year. I, I think rightfully so. I, I I think they have potential um, in a lot of in a lot of ways. Um, I love I love their quarterback, but like I don't hear a lot of people talking about the fact that Alabama took their best wide receiver from last year. Like th- that kind of matters, and I know that in the on the recruiting tra- trail. Louisville is making some, you know, turn some heads with with recruiting, but none of those players are going to have an effect on this year's team. Um, they returned seven on offense. Uh, Malik Cunningham is a dude. Uh, I, I I really like Malik Cunningham a lot. Um, their defense is is fine. I mean, no, they're not even fine. Last year they were eighty fourth in the nation total. Like this is again, this is just one of those teams that is. An offensive focus because again, this is the this is the league of quarterbacks. Like you said that passingly at the beginning at the beginning of the uh, of this episode, but this is like almost every team in this in this uh, conference has a good to NFL caliber quarterback. Like and and it's really cool to see that. But man, them losing Tyler Harrell, I, I think is a huge deal. And I I I don't. I'm this this team here is yes I think they could uh, compete for the the conference title but I I'm, they're kind of on the fringe of tier three for me um, because I I just don't know how they're going to make up make up the play defensively that they lack along with the production that they were going to have from Tyler Harrell yeah so you're almost in a situation where Malik Cunningham is so productive forty uh, almost forty touchdowns last year thirty nine. 20 on the ground, 19 through the air. You're almost in a position where he's that productive because who else is there to rely on? Because the guy that you're talking about, Tyler Harrell, only caught 18 passes last year. And he did it for 29 yards a catch and six mm-hmm. touchdowns. So, I mean, he did his he did his job for certain, and Alabama's going to love capitalizing on that guy. But they've got to find a way to lean on somebody else other than Malik Cunningham. And maybe they missed an opportunity to lean on Tyler Harrell a little bit more, and now that that opportunity is gone. Uh, 49 catches for Marshawn Ford and 155 rushes for Jalen Mitchell, 4.7 yards a carry. So I, I feel like while Malik Cunningham is not a guy you want to take the ball out of his hands, somebody's got to be able to compliment him on that side of the football because while the offense was good, they were only scoring 32 points a game. And... That's not bad, but that's not up there where 
Wake Forest was scoring 40 points a game. NC State was scoring just 33 points a game. Uh, you're not you're not up the top of the top at 32 points a game. It's again, it's not a bad number. I don't mean to you know crush them, but you want to find somebody else to lean on uh, offensively and and like you said, defensively, those numbers have got to improve. And there's not really an overwhelming reason to believe that they're going to. Yeah, that's that's kind of my thing. Like. I I think I, I mean I think they could making I think they could do well just with the speed that they have I mean they have speed for days, but like it, it's kind of like it's kind of like it's two years ago Purdue, like t- two years ago we knew Purdue was good for you know a good thirty thirty five points a game against anybody everybody but we just you just didn't know if they're going to be able to beat good teams or play defense right like that's kind of where I'm at with Louisville now. With that said, I think Lou, we I think Louisville can stay in this realm because some things could happen for them, but they are definitely on the rise because of the just the recruiting that um that's that Satterfield's doing. And he's got some people buying into what he what he's selling. And so I, I think in the long run, after this season, this team will be in a better position, but I just think this is gonna be a tough year for them. All right, so you kind of like Louisville almost into the tier three section potentially, mm-hmm. and I don't, I don't hate that. All right, so tier three starts off with, and this is in no particular order: uh, FSU, Virginia, Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Boston College, North Carolina. And in some ways, Rob, I think I could put Virginia Tech and Syracuse down in tier four. Nothing overwhelms me about those teams outside of they did well defensively last year or they made big improvements defensively from mm-hmm. 2021 to the upcoming season. So I'm not overwhelmed by those two teams, but FSU, Virginia, North Carolina are potential teams that maybe could find themselves in tier two, or at least pushing towards tier two by the end of the year. Those would be the three teams I'm most excited about. So you want to start with kind of that under part of tier three or the top part of tier three. Well, I, I think I kind of want to talk about the, the controversial team of that group, and and that's FSU. Like, okay. what is FSU to you? Like, you go ahead, because and, and I, I, I have incredibly complicated feelings about them. So, Jordan Travis had a really nice finish to the year uh, last season. And I think there is, if they if they're building on that, then... A guy like Jordan Travis might be a guy that can lead this team to seven, eight wins and potentially being around the chicken coop, as uh, as Lee Corso would say, for the ACC championship game. I don't I don't completely love that, but at the same time, the expectations are it's time to take a step forward in Tallahassee. And it feels like they've got some pieces here and there that say maybe that's 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 coming it's not again it's not overwhelming in Tallahassee but I think Jordan Travis is stepping into a role they found what worked for him later in the season last year and I'll try to pull up what those numbers were exactly but Jordan Travis is a big part of this returning production offensive line is going to start to is going to start to stop being such a liability as it has been before in the past and if that's the case 
that'll go a long way. They do have pieces to replace defensively. What what sort of concerns you about uh, Florida State for the upcoming year? Not not that there isn't anything to be concerned about, and you're a weirdo, but what is it that sticks out? What are the red flags that stick out the most? Pass rush. Like losing Jermaine Johnson and Kier Thomas on a on a not very athletic defensive d- defensive side of the ball and, and and not really knowing who's coming in to help with that then this year I, I I'm just concerned I'm concerned about their pass rush I I think to your point Jordan Travis is the guy I think once they let him be the guy and stopped I don't know stopped um seeing him mix signals you know, in some ways are confusing. I don't know what they were doing, but once they let him be the guy, I think he prospered. Um, you know, uh, just a shout out to Vallas High School. Tate Rodemaker is the backup, set to be the backup for him. Um, go Cats. Um, uh, but when you look at FSU's schedule, Spencer, like, it, there's a world in which they win eight games, right? Yes. Like, if, if the offensive line... To your point, if the offensive line cannot cannot be the reason why they're losing, and the defense can just can the de- and the defense can, can can contribute and cause cause some havoc, then I, I think they're going to be great. I, I, not great. I think I think they're going to be in a great spot because I I trust their defensive backs. I think their linebackers are going to be better this year, but my concern is the pass rush. Them them leaving their excuse me them le- leaving their DBs out to dry constantly. Yeah, they're certainly going to have to look for a guy like uh, Jared Verse, who was brought in a, a transfer from Albany. They're going to have to put it, him in a, pos- a position to be successful. Nine and a half sacks um, last year, two and a half uh, tackles for loss. So I think that is supposed to be one of the answers uh, at that position. Uh, Dennis Briggs is another guy on the defensive end uh, spot that they're going to want to see if they can't pull something out of. But I mean, yes, I agree. Jermaine Johnson's twelve sacks and Kier Thomas's six and a half sacks are going to be a lot to uh, a lot to replace, and they're going to have to try to find those spots uh, or those sacks to return on a group that had thirty three of them last year. Can they get that back? That'll be a big question mark for uh, for Florida State for certain uh, this upcoming season. But I think the time is kind of now for Mike Norvell, right? With with eight returning, 16 total returning starters, the it seems like the time is now to make the step forward. Absolutely. Like, this is, I don't know how much more patient that they'll be. I think that this is the first year, like, just like with another team in the Big Ten that we'll talk about next week, um, that I, th- I, think, I think they're going to get to a bowl game. Like, I think this is a bowl team this year. I think this schedule allows them to, be more likely to be a bowl team. So like I'm I'm I feel pretty good uh, about saying that. I I just there's a world in which FSU does take a huge leap, you know, and they have eight wins this year, but I don't see them beating Clemson. I don't see them I don't see them beating NC State. I I don't see them beating LSU, but could could I see them beat some of these other teams on here, catching them on a bad day, like just putting the things together uh, the right way? Yes, I do. I, I do see that. And so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be optimistic for FSU this year because I, I, I like Mike Norvell. Um, I think he is a good coach. I just he, – he's just got to put it together. This, this year has to come together, like you said. 
right. So uh, Florida State. I like. So let's jump to Virginia. And we're not necessarily going in any specific order here. Uh, but Virginia could potentially have one of the funnest offenses this upcoming season there um, for uh, for the Cavaliers. Brendan Armstrong is another one of those quarterbacks that a lot of people really like. 40-plus um, touchdowns last year, or uh, right at 40 touchdowns last year. 10 interceptions, nine, on, 9 touchdowns on the ground, 31 through the air. This offense was scoring just under 35 points a game, and they return all three of their top pass catchers, 57 catches, 78, and 74 receptions, and there's a freshman who will now, I guess, be a sophomore coming in after an injury, uh, being out with an injury last year, so I guess a junior, um, in Lavelle Davis that's making his return as well that I think Virginia fans are excited to see come back. Six and six last year is not an awful number, but they do fire Bronco Mendenhall, and they bring in uh, Tony Elliott as their new head coach, one of those offensive coordinators from uh, Virginia, or from Clemson, I'm sorry. I I like the potential of this Virginia offense. They do have some question marks on the offensive line, but I like the the potential of this Virginia offense. Um, here's my here here's my problem. It's because of what I just saw Tony Elliott produce at Clemson. I have like a little recency bias in the negative way. Like, it, it just it just seems so basic. Last year there just was no creativity, and so I'm just a little, I'm a little concerned about that. Um, about where where what their offense is going to look like. I'm not I am not worried at all about Brandon Armstrong. Like that kid can play. I, I don't I don't know if he's an NFL quarterback, uh, but I do know he's a really good college quarterback. And and so like when I when I look at Virginia, I think okay, you got a new coach, new OC, new DC. You're only returning four from your offensive last year that was really good. You were number one in the ACC, like you said earlier. Like you, you return, you essentially return. But the good thing is, like you, you return your quarterback and some pass catchers. Um, and so I, I do think that's helpful. But I, I just, I, I, I'm just not the biggest Tony Elliott guy right now. And so, and so, like I think that's where I'm at. I, I think I'm more low on Virginia and their offensive production just because of what I just saw him do. Does that make sense? I well, so yes and no. Okay, push back. At some point, right? At some point. If Brennan Armstrong can play, then whatever Tony Elliott puts out there, it's sort of like a witch comes first, the chicken or the egg kind of deal. DJ didn't play great last year mechanically, missing throws and missing things and, and doing things that weren't great. Now, grant, granted, Tony Elliott didn't maybe switch things up like he could have, so it's a little bit on both of them. But at some point, you have to ask which comes first. Is it the schemes? Is it what Tony Elliott is asking them to do? Or is it just the fact that DJ was having such an off year last year? And now if you put Tony Elliott with players who, you know, are a little more seasoned, they've got an idea of what works. Tony can shift things around in terms of what does work uh, for this group, knowing that they were successful last year. I kind of think those woes might be behind him. And having an offense that can play, a quarterback that can play at this level, I, I feel like you're in a I feel like he's in a better spot here with maybe not better players, but players that are more used to one another. They're more confident. They're more comfortable. Uh, and 
that part of this will be what works out. Brendan Armstrong being able to play uh, and not struggle the way DJU did will, will be a, a major factor in an improved Tony Elliott offense. You know what? You're probably right. Yeah, you're you're probably right. Maybe 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 he'll he will come out and just just ha- you know have be revitalized in a lot of ways. Um, but you know you, you got to mention they're losing their entire O line. Like they're just replacing a lot. Um, their schedule their schedule doesn't look too bad, especially in the non con. Like they should get three wins. Maybe maybe three wins. They play at Illinois at the beginning of the year. Um, I don't know, maybe, maybe a bowl team. Like, I mean, could you see this? This if I told you that yeah, they were. I think a, I think a, I think a bowl is is very is very likely here for okay. Virginia. Yeah. Um, not overwhelming, it. but I think it's likely because again, defense was not was not great, and there's no real reason to believe they'll be uh, a whole lot better this upcoming season. So, um, I like Virginia's offense. I I don't know about I don't know what they're going to do defensively. Yeah. Well, let, let's transition to a team that I I again have complicated feelings on. And that's North Carolina. Yep. Um, how would you describe the Matt Brown experience at North Carolina so far? Um, I think they've been really, really excited, and maybe they've bought into some of that excitement um, right there at the end of, well, this this past year. I think there's been a lot of really. I think there have been more bright spots than there have low spots. But the bright spots became a little too – you kind of got blinded by the light a little bit. And you lost focus this past year, which caused you to not only stub your toe, but you know roll down Get the hill over and over again. Um, yeah, and, and be embarrassed. Uh, six and seven last year was not what anybody was expecting. And they lost to Georgia Tech. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Keep, I'm sorry. Keep going. I'm- well, and, and the offense took a ton of steps back. Even though they scored 35 points a game, they took a ton of steps back. Uh, the defense has not been improving since 2019, where they had a really big jump from 34 points a game in 18 to 23.7 in 19, and then they've moved backwards ever since then, 23 to 29, and then 29 to 32, so uh, points per game. So I don't, I don't love a lot of those numbers. Things seem to be moving in the wrong direction on that side of the football. But Rob, we've always said, hey, recruiting, recruiting, recruiting. And recruiting's not overwhelmingly slowed down at any point. So you still feel good that North Carolina, if they can put it together, if they can find the right pieces and get everybody on the right page, this North Carolina team could explode. It's just a matter of getting everybody on the right page, which is a lot easier said than done. Yeah, I think I think Josh Downs is probably like the dude they're they're looking for, right? Like, you know, gonna lean on this year. Um I think I think he, he is an incredible wide receiver. I think Antonio Green or Antoine Green is good as well. You know, um, have they announced who the starter is? Or are we just assuming it's Drake May? I think we're assuming it's Drake May, and a lot of people think it'll lean that way, but the the competition is certainly there for uh for the for the next two guys. Even a guy like I believe it's Connor Harrell that a lot of think uh, a lot of folks pick six preview thinks Connor Harrell will be a part of the quarterback competition as well with uh, Jacoby Criswell. So the, the reason why I asked you about Matt Brown experience is because I, I, I just felt like they've declined over these oh, yeah. three years. Like I thought, I thought, you know, they, they peaked really well his first year. And I just think that it just kind of just 
decrease. Like with the, the the quarterback and the offensive firepower you had last year, you should not lose to Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, Florida State, or South Carolina. You should not lose those games. And and so, you know, you, they brought in Gene Chizik, you know, who had who's been behind a desk for a while to be their new DC, and. And so, like, they were 94th in the country last year in total defense. I, I, I don't know what to expect from this team. For me, that's why they're in the Tier 3. Is because I thought last year, I mean, because all we heard was, oh, those, those offensive linemen, they're, they're all returning, and they're all, they're all gotten bigger and stronger, and, you know, they're, they're going to be tougher. And then last year, we just saw them get worked and pushed around. So one thing I've seen for North Carolina, and and this will be, we'll we'll find out if this is true, but that or not if this is true, but if this is paid off and worked out, they're bringing back a lot of physicality and practice. They're bringing back a lot of the trying to get that edge back. They're going back to full tackling. They're going back to making tackle uh, practice as physical as possible and really getting after that aggression and trying to find some of that energy from those first couple of years. That really made North Carolina stand out, and a lot of people were really excited about them. Um, if they can recapture those things with the kind of talent that's on the team, there's reason to believe that they can push and, and get to Tier 2 and be a part of that conversation. And they don't have to go for you know 15 wins in a, in a, in a, you know, a 13-game season. But if they can refine that aggression, refine that edge and that energy, uh, the talent on the roster is certainly there for North Carolina. and while their schedule isn't 32nd ranked by uh, it's 32nd ranked by Phil still. So it's not a cakewalk. It's not the most daunting. You get Florida A&M at Appalachian state. That's a game that you should be able to win with the kind of talent on this roster at Georgia state. You've got the Notre Dame game. Uh, that'll be a toss up. Virginia tech could be a win. You, if this offense is capable of sticking with Miami, I think in, in terms of the, caliber that Drake May is. You got Duke, you got Pittsburgh, who, again, might not have an overwhelming offense this upcoming season. Uh, Virginia, not an overwhelming defense. Wake Forest, not an overwhelming defense. Georgia Tech, NC State at the end of the year. The, the opportunities, I think, are there for North Carolina, considering the talent that's on the roster. Yeah, I, I mean, <clears throat> I, I could easily see this team going 8-4 and four this year or going 5-7. and seven. Just because of their schedule and because of the the fickleness in which they they acted last year, um, I did not realize though that they're playing at Georgia State on September 10th. Um, I'm at I'm like 30 minutes from that stadium, nice. so hmm, I'll, I may investigate that. Anyway, next team. Um, well, I was going yeah, oh. I, I was going to say any any sort of a rapid fire Virginia Tech, Syracuse, Boston College. Anything that you've got for those, I've got one or two things for each of those teams, but not a not anything overwhelming. Anything you got, you want to get us started with Virginia Tech? Anything there? No, just hey, can you not can you not be an embarrassment like you have been lately? Yeah, and and that's what's been over over overwhelming for Virginia Tech. They did play good defensively. They improved from thirty two points a game to twenty five. So I think if they can continue that, and there is a new uh, offensive line coach in the building for uh, Virginia Tech as well. The guy from Wisconsin, I believe his name is Joe Rudolph. So if they can improve the offensive line, get that area going, keep the defense where it's at, I think maybe a, a first year under Brent Pye, 
pry, I'm sorry, uh, you maybe, excuse me, maybe could get back to six or seven wins this upcoming season um, if you continue to to stay where you're at defensively and and find some uh, find some room on the offensive line. Um, <clears throat> Boston College, Phil Dracovic may be my favorite quarterback in the ACC. Yep, very um, well could be. Uh, Zay Flowers is awesome. He's he's really freaking good. And how about um, he stays outside of that money that was offered? God, man, I, That's yeah. a pretty cool story. Yeah, I love that about him um, as well. I just don't know. Like, Jeff Halley, you know, Halfley have said, like, this is one of the best defenses he's ever had, like, in his entire, in, in his, his, his entire time coaching. Um, so we'll see. If their defense can show up and play, like I expect Boston College to actually be quite formidable and be on that eight, eight, you know, seven or eight win um, expectation throughout the season. Um, but that's all I have about Boston College is I just I really like Phil Dracovic and I, I want him to do well and I'm I'm glad I'm glad Zay Flowers stayed, but also I'm glad that Phil is better. He he got better as the season went on from his injury, and I wish that he hadn't missed almost a whole year. Yeah, uh, agree one hundred percent. I think. I'm excited to see what this offense can look like with a healthy Phil, a healthy Zay Flowers, healthy uh, Patrick Gawor, Gawo. And uh, if that's the case, then 24 points a game could be improved upon. And if the defense stays right at the 22 points uh, allowed, then, then yeah, they, they might could push, uh, you know, Wake Forest and, and Louisville. And uh, if they can stay healthy and play up to their potential, the way that Halfley has been building it. Yes. Boston college could be a really tough team, uh, there in 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 tier three. Cues. All right, your Sarahs. Let's no, go with the Sarahs. I, I, I Get hate, after it. You know I hate when you say that. Um, Sarahs. Let's go. Tell us I, all about the Sarahs. Oh my god, I hate you so much. I don't think Dino Babers is going to be the coach at the end of this year. Um, Ouch. I think that he. <clears throat> I, I I think this the change that he made to offensive coordinator to Robert and A and I um is a good is a good choice. However, he should have changed offenses probably about two years ago, two or three years ago, that is. Yes, their defense was ranked in the top 20 last year. Yes, people. Syracuse's defense was ranked in the top 20 last year in total defense. However, their their offense was 86th. And their offense, because he has tried to run this, I don't know, run and gun bullcrap version. It wasn't even good. Like it, it was fast. Yes, it was fast. They run the shotgun, but the only thing they'll have are those back-to-back years where they either beat Clemson or push Clemson to almost beating them. They have they're offensively, they have been just awful. And I'm hoping that this offensive coordinator can come in and do well and help Dino keep his job. But if they do not go to a bowl game, and if they do not, if they do not compete in their games this year, I do not expect Dino Babers to be the coach after this year. Probably too many returning starters to not take a step forward on a on a five and seven season that saw some really nice and impressive steps forward. You went from 17 points a game in your one win 2020 season to right under 25 points a game. And you went from 33 almost points a game being allowed to 26 points a game uh, being allowed. So you took some big jumps last year to get to five wins you're probably going to need another nice jump this upcoming season. They just have the 12th ranked toughest defense or a 12th ranked toughest uh, schedule, according to Phil Still. So could they get back to five, six, seven wins? They're going to desperately need six, like you said. And are those six here? 
maybe they are, but it's, I mean, they're going to have to scrape and claw for them, I think, uh, this upcoming season because it's, you know, it's a tough, it's a tough slate in front of them for sure. All right. Uh, Duke, Georgia Tech. Mike Elko is the new head coach at Duke, the Blue Devils. Uh, not a lot to say here. There's just, it, no. it was a tough year last year. It's been a tough several years. Um, David Cutcliffe did a great job at times, but ultimately it was just probably too overwhelming. Um, uh, there in the ACC, uh, it's a tough year last year. I don't have anything to say other than Shaka Hayward's probably going to get a hundred tackles again this year. Like, I like it. That's it. And then, okay, Georgia Tech. <clears throat> I remember there was a time when Jeff Collins was projected to be the com- competition that Georgia needed. He was going to mm-hmm. be the Kirby Smart for Georgia Tech. He was Ooh. he was aggressive. He was a great recruiter. He was the head of recruitment at Alabama under Saban. So he's going to come in and just do all these awesome things. And and look, give him credit. He got in Jeff Sims and he got in Jameer Gibbs. But guess what? Jameer Gibbs is gone because he didn't know how to use him. And he continued to not be able to get talent around Jameer Gibbs. Um, I have started to just realize and think that Jeff Collins may just not be a very good power five head coach. Yeah, he, he might he might be able to acquire some talent, and I think he's acquired some talent at this point. But re, we've made this notion, or this notion has been out there in college football, that all you have to do is recruit, and then the guys will go out there and they'll just play really well. Well, that's not necessarily the case. And when you come to places like Georgia Tech, you get the, uh, you get the impression that, yeah, you can recruit really well, and you can have a Jameer Gibbs on your team. But if you don't put him in the right spot, if you're not developing the guys around him, or maybe you're not developing him as well as you should be, then, yeah, you're going to run into missed opportunities on the field, missed opportunities with players. And while Jeff Collins might be great as the head of recruiting, and he might be great in bringing in talent, how do you produce with that talent? And that might be the case. How do you hire the coaches around you? Uh, Look at the offensive coordinator that he had last year was not a name that jumped off the page. And I don't believe the new name this year is a name that completely uh, – no, I, I apologize. Chip Long is a name that, uh, that, that a lot of people like. I was thinking of a different offensive coordinator hire. But maybe just Chip Long acquisition will go a long way. Chris Winkie and Jeff Sims teaming up together. Winkie as the, as the quarterback's coach, Jeff Sims as the quarterback. Maybe that stuff starts to turn this around for Jeff Collins. His hiring of coaches around his great players – could be what changes the uh, the tune for Georgia Tech uh, this upcoming season because so far it's been some talent, but they've not been able to produce with it. Yeah, and, and look, I, I will defend him in re- one regard. When he got there, he had, like, for, for those that don't know, like, when you look at teams, like, in the Big Ten or SEC or wherever, like, offensive linemen – they want offensive linemen between like six, four, you know, six, six, like if you can get a six, six tackle, like, Oh my gosh, like you are like, that is awesome. And, but like, they try to stay within that, like six, three, six, six range. Most of the freaking offensive linemen that Georgia tech had were six, three and under because you want smaller mobile offensive linemen to run that, to run that triple option tie because you're constantly pulling and you're cutting and, and, and the, the way they were playing. And so I give Jeff credit for the first, you know, for the first two seasons of trying to 
you know, trying to adjust that. But 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 this is like this is a third year, man. Like, or I'm sorry, is this has he been there three years or he's going into his fourth year? This is fourth year coming yeah, up. This, yeah, this is his fourth year. You you don't really have any more like I, I you don't have any more excuses in my book as far as that goes. Because I, I understand it could probably be really hard to find someone to block for Jameer Gibbs when you have a bunch of dudes who look like linebackers and not offensive linemen. You know, um, that's but, that's the important thing to to keep in mind that I think Jeff Collins over over exceeded really quick with how well he recruited. A lot of people thought oh, or, or understood, hey, this is a really tough roster rebuild. This is a really tough roster rebuild. You're, you're going from the you know, you're moving out of the triple option and into whatever it's moving out of the triple option is a really tough roster rebuild into whatever else you're going to do. I think he overshot those expectations, or at least he did some things that made people think, okay, that's far behind. We've we've left that in the dust. When in some cases, uh, maybe they haven't, but more importantly, I think it goes back to those coaches. But um, yeah, maybe the roster rebuild has been something that's been a lot tougher uh, than we've we've originally imagined. Yeah, I mean, I didn't think I was going to get on here and defend Jeff Collins, but in in that one in that one regard, I will defend him. Because, like, as we all know, as much as quarterback is important and as much as skill guys at wide receiver is important, the trenches is how you win games. You know, and if you can't, if your guys can't block anybody because they're smaller than everybody else, like, it's going to take time to make that up. But with that, again, with that said, last year was abysmal. Last year was probably the, the least grace that I had about it because of just how bad it was. Um, and so like he, he will be another guy who will not be coaching at his school if they can, if they have another like three and nine year. Robbo, who do you like in the ACC championship game and, uh, who's your winner? I got Miami versus Clemson and Miami winning the conference. Give me Miami and NC state. Okay. And Miami winning the conference. I kind of want to change a little bit better about, uh, I feel a little bit better about Mario Cristobal. I do love and how this is the third conference in a row where you and I have deliberated and teams, one of us, teams that we either felt higher on, we feel lower on by the end of this conversation, or teams we were low on, we feel higher about <laughs> by the end of this conversation. Yeah, for real. Like, because, I, I mean, I, I really like NC State, like you said. Um, and... The, I just think that NC State Clemson game is going to be pivotal, but it's it, it's at Clemson, right? This year, isn't, isn't that what I said? I think so. Uh, I'll pull it up. Go ahead. Um, I did. I it's just think, at Clemson. Yes, at Clemson. Yeah, that's that's the kind of the swaying factor for me. So, yeah, I'm. I just I love the fact that both of us are high on Miami. I, I just Miami has had a very very bad run of coaching hires. And but I think I think this is the right one. I think this is the guy who will get Miami back to where they're supposed to be. So, yeah, I'll take I'll take Miami to win the conference. Be sure to like, rate, review, and subscribe to Friends One Love, and that is college football. We'll catch you on the flip flop later.